Hello everybody, welcome to Health Hackers episode 28. I am Gemma Evans, journalist and presenter here in the UK and this is my series devoted to interviewing pioneering people in health, wellness and mindset. Today I am at the beautiful London home of Marissa Peer, celebrity therapist, motivational speaker and author. Marissa has been seeing clients for over 30 years, including royalty, CEOs, award-winning actors, rock stars and athletes. And for the next half an hour, we're going to be talking about her unique therapy technique and learning how we can perhaps apply it all to our own lives. And we'll also discuss how Marissa seems to have sparked an Instagram trend with three little words, which we'll come on to. So Marissa, 33 years, as a yeah, therapist. It's a long time. Can you give us an idea of the kinds of problems that people come to you with? What are the reasons they show up at your door? Well, the presenting problem is usually not the problem, but they come in with lack of confidence, that's huge, lack of self-esteem, every addiction you can think of from drinking, smoking, drugs, food, shopping, shoplifting, FaceTime, screen time, uh, a lot of health issues like uh, dermatitis, eczema, migraines, irritable bowel, infertility, relationship problems, and then specific like phobias. I can't get in the lift, I can't pass my driving test, I can't go over bridges. So um, everything you can think of and some stuff you wouldn't even be able to think of. And then I see athletes who want to increase their sports performance, people with relationship blocks, money blocks, that's a huge thing. People have this block about health or wealth. Um, a lot of obesity, anorexia, bulimia, and then a lot of children with, you know, fears, I can't go to school, there's a monster under the bed, or bullying, or bedwetting. And from little children, you know, troubled teens who don't feel good about themselves. But really, I began to realize quite early in my career that actually all the problems they come in with go back to the same thing, they just don't feel good enough. You recognize that in all of them? Everyone? Almost all of them, yeah. I would say that, uh, particularly with addictions, I've never met an addict in my life, and I've met thousands who ever felt they were good enough. So almost all of them, yeah. Not every single one, but the majority of them will go back to, I don't feel enough. And so how do you begin to tackle that when you're with them? It's very easy, actually. When people come in with a shopping list, because they have an intake form to it, and they might put on it, you know, I'm... I'm an addictive eater and I'm uh, unhappy and I lack motivation and I self-sabotage and I'm always fighting with my husband and I can't do confrontation at work. So I look at everything they've listed and go, you know, this is not really the problem. The problem is you don't think you're enough and that's why you eat because you feel empty inside. It's why you can't get promotion at work because you don't believe you're worth it. It's why you can't ask for a pay rise. It's why you, you're fighting a lot with your partner. And so it's very easy to identify what's really wrong with people. And when you identify what's really wrong and treat that, you cure them of every, all the presenting issues forever. Is your technique um, a cross between kind of hypnosis and reprogramming your mind? I mean, it's, it's a quite a unique technique. I mean, it took me 30 years to really put it all together. I've been doing it for years. And really my own patients taught me what works and what doesn't. So RTT, rapid transmission therapy is a hybrid therapy and it does involve obviously hypnosis, it involves a huge amount of psychotherapy, psychology, but it's quite unique. Rather than you saying, well, it's got a bit of that and a bit of that, it's got its own techniques that don't um, exist anywhere else. We've created um, a lot of things like role function, purpose of an illness, a healing vortex, command, therapy where you command the body to get better. So it, it does have different elements of different stuff, but it, it's quite unique and standalone. And it's, it's very much based on science. And at its core, it's using neuroplasticity, which means that in RTT therapy, you get the mind to talk to the body differently, to not say, oh my God, I'm having a massive panic attack, to say, well, you know, mildly concerned, not to say I've got a crippling headache, but I've got tiny little worry. So, the mind starts to dialogue with the body completely differently, but it also interrupts the body's signals and interprets them differently. So there is no fear, there are no panic attacks, there is no blushing or stuttering or anxiety. Is there a way that we can use this on ourselves? So let's say we, we are having issues, maybe, maybe there, 
there's a relative we're not getting on with or we're afraid of a job interview or anything really that's causing anxiety, how can we adopt RTT, rapid, transformation, yeah. rapid transformational therapy, to our own lives? Well, the way you feel about everything is down to only two things, the pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself. So if you say, I'm scared of dogs, or I'm scared of bees, and you make a picture that bee is going to sting me, and you make a different picture and it says, oh, aren't bees wonderful? If it wasn't for them, pollination wouldn't exist. So the way you feel is down to the pictures you make and the words you say. And that's actually very good news because you can change the pictures at any time. You can change the words. So for instance, a lot of my clients come in and say things like, I, I can't cope. I can't cope with noise. I never go to the supermarket. I can't cope with sounds. I'm noise sensitive, light sensitive. And that's not true, but it's a belief they've acquired. I need things to be silent, to cope. I need to be very relaxed. Um, I can't cope with an alarm clock. And I say, look, that's, that's all nonsense. I want you to walk around every day and say, I have phenomenal coping skills. I have extraordinary coping skills. Because people who are like that can't ever go, no, they can't go to an airport. They can't go to a train station. It sounds so silly to us, but their life is very limited and very restricted by a belief. I can't cope with noise or light or sound, which is not true. Babies, my baby would fall asleep in, in the middle of a noisy place. It, it's a belief, and you see, you make your beliefs, and then your beliefs make you. And so what RTT does a lot is to really code in and wire into you much better beliefs. One of them being, I have amazing coping skills. Noise, I just fall asleep. I mean, how many of us will fall asleep on a noisy airplane, on a noisy train? Watching TV, we suddenly notice we've fallen asleep. So the belief I can only sleep in silence is not true. But if you believe it, you make it true. So should I? So if I had a problem where I felt like I couldn't fall asleep unless it was silent, yeah. Should I just be walking around mentally saying I sleep perfectly with yeah, lots of noise? Absolutely. I love lots of noise. Just until I yeah. convince myself. Convince the mind. It takes it a very small amount of time to get convinced. It does learn by repetition. So for instance, I was um in America last year, and my husband's friend said, oh, I've got to go to the airport. I hate flying to London. I can never fall asleep on a plane. I said, well, that's not true, because nobody falls anywhere. You don't fall, and you don't even go to sleep. In fact, sleep comes to you. So I just told him to get on the plane and say, the minute I close my eyes, sleep descends upon me, and it stays with me till we land. And he said, I've never done that before, but I slept all the way from LA to London perfectly because he dialogued with his mind differently you see your mind has a job to do and your mind's job is to do what it thinks you want and your job is to make it really super clear if you're not clear with your mind it gets things wrong but if you're very clear with your mind it gets things right and saying to your mind now is i need to sleep now for eight hours i insist on that and going to close my eyes and sleep's going to come to me. It's very different to going, I've got, I've got to go to sleep, look at the time, got to be up in seven hours, and if I don't get seven hours, I won't cope. And you're really programming your mind in the most negative way without realising it. It's like saying, I ate a cake and I knew I'd gain a pound. If I look at a pizza, I get gain weight. And I knew when I ate that, I'd gain weight. But you can say whatever I eat, it just burns off. My, my mind and body are so great. If I eat more, I burn off more. If I eat less, I burn that off too. Because people who are skinny will say things like, well, no matter what I eat, I never put on weight. It just burns off. And people who are not skinny will say, I can't get the weight off. No matter what I do, it sticks to me. And unfortunately, you are what you believe. Or fortunately, if you can learn to not only believe better beliefs but say better things because if you could understand that every word you say and in fact every thought you think is a blueprint that you are actually hardwired to run towards you change the way you speak you know you can be negative or positive that's a free choice but if you could see what you do to your body when you're negative you'd realize that negative thinking is a luxury that none of us can ever afford have you ever had a client who said, this is too simple, it can't work for me? Oh, hundreds of them say, I can't believe it, really? You know, it's that simple. And often in, in RTT, they'll go back to a scene. So they'll go back and say, gosh, I never realized that 
my mum crying when I wouldn't finish food or my dad saying like, you know, if you're a good girl, you eat and you can't get down to the table till you finish. I never realised that they, they actually trained me to eat whatever was in front of me. You know, try to make a newborn baby eat too much. They just throw it up. They just won't have it. They have an apposite that regulates. They eat when they're hungry. When they've had enough, they stop. And all babies are so normal about what they will and won't eat. When they've had enough, even in the high chair, they'll do that or they'll spit it out. And we unfortunately override that. We say, you know, eat more. If you love me, you'll finish it. Don't, mummy spent hours making this or think of all the starving children and you can't get down or you can't have pudding. And so we, we train ourselves to override our instinct to go to sleep when we're tired, stop eating when we've had enough. And then people come to me and say, I, I don't even know what full is. I, I don't know how to sleep. I, how do you relax when everyone is born? able to sleep, relax, stop eating. And actually everyone is born. Your first thing when you're born is attention. People look at you, they count your toes. And people say to me, I, I don't like being the center of attention. I, I'm no good with confrontation. I don't like being looked at. And I go, well, that's not true. So I've always been like that. No, no, you haven't actually, because when you were born, everyone looked at you and most babies like, and I used to take my little baby out who would put their, tickle her in the pram and she'd kick her little legs and smile. And she never thought, I haven't got any teeth, I shouldn't smile. And um, babies love attention. It, it's a belief that I was born inadequate or nervous or confident or shy and that's not true. So what happened from when we were babies and we loved all this attention to us now, or even when we were teenagers or children where we, we suddenly felt embarrassment and we, we didn't like being confident. It's being judged. It, you know, we, we're born with really powerful need to survive on the planet. Our driver is, I must survive. And when you're born, you know that two things will make sure you survive, finding connection and avoiding rejection. If you can find connection and avoid rejection, you're going to make it. And so as young children, every time we're rejected, it's very painful. If you say to a small child, I don't love you anymore, it's the end of the world, or I don't like you, they're so dependent on you for survival. If you have an argument with your mother at 30, because oh, I don't like you, you go, oh, mom, don't be silly, you know, grow up, you know that's not true. Or, well, I don't like you right now, but we'll get past it. But as a child, it is the end of the world when you're rejected. Um, and so it's very easy to make children insecure by saying things like, well, your sister, she could spell when she was three. Your brother didn't get food all over the floor. Look at your cousin. She's so good at reading what's wrong with you. Because we compare children all the time. And schools do it too, even the best intentioned schools. Every time you have a prize, they reward one kid. You tell 29 others they're not good enough. And so it's the gifted children that get prizes. So children get prizes not for effort but for achievement. And I've always, I've always thought prize day at school was a terrible idea. What advice would you give to a parent to raise a really confident child with great self-esteem? Because a lot of your clients have come to you with low self-esteem, oh, haven't huge. they? Oh, huge. Yeah. Well, the big thing is to tell your children they're unique. Don't compare yourself. You know, my little girl came home and she was very, no, I was actually walking to school and she said, Mama, you see that girl, she can write her name in a box and I can't write my name in a box. And already she wasn't even four. She had this feeling of she can write her name in a box so she's better than me and I can't write my name. And I said, look, darling, her name is Amy and the other person's name is Sam. And, and I just said, that's just a little thing, but your name is Phaedra. The P goes up, the H goes up, the D goes up. It's a beautiful name, but it's hard to write that name in a box. But when you're 10, everyone can write their name in a box. But I really minded that even at four, they were pitted against each other. They can do that and you can't. And you know, children are different. Children who are good at art aren't necessarily good at science. Children who are good at languages aren't always good at sport. But you know, we, we have all the, like sports day. I mean, that's horrendous for some kids. I mean, when I was a kid, not being picked for the netball team, you know, you think pick a team, pick a team, and you're always the last one, and it's excruciating, and they still do that. Mm. I remember being so embarrassed if I didn't have branded trainers. Of course. Everyone yeah. had name brand trainers, 
and I didn't and I just found that devastating so embarrassing but so so we learn as children to suddenly care what everybody thinks and we yeah. want to be accepted sure and then we carry that through into adulthood and now we're adults and then we've got all these different problems yeah is this where I'm enough comes into it this we well, see the hashtag. thing with children is you, you must be connected and then you belong, and then you'll make it. And so we have a great fear, which is being different. And you just brought that up with a, you, did, you had different trainers. When you feel different as a kid, it's horrendous because surviving was a numbers game. 500 years ago, you lived in a community, you shut the doors of the city at night, and safety was all about numbers. And if you were different, you didn't connect. If you didn't behave, they cast you out. And so we all have this fear if I'm different, I can't connect. And if I'm different, that's just a terrible thing. But everyone's greatest fear is to be different. So if your greatest fear is to be different, that means that you're the same as everyone, and everyone's the same as you. But that kid that felt different from not having the trainers, now you probably think, I don't want what everyone else has got. Everyone now likes that, so I don't want it anymore. So what scares you as a child doesn't scare you as an adult, but we have this innate fear of being rejected because we think it will kill us and it won't, but we still feel like it will. And that's one of the biggest problems. Our fear of being rejected makes us hold back. I could write a book, I could give a talk, I could um, get a pay rise, I could, but what if they don't? I could go up to that person and go, hey, you look interesting, should we chat? But what if they say no? And if we only knew that you can't be rejected. The only person who can reject you is you. When you know you can't be rejected, it makes you kind of bulletproof. People can say mean things, but if you don't let it in, that in itself will change your life. And teaching children that they cannot be rejected, that the most important words they hear, and not from a friend who goes, I don't like you, it's from a child who says, I like me, I like myself, I'm, I matter. I'm significant, I'm enough, I've got something unique to offer the world. And in fact, if every child could start their day saying that, bullying would be such a minute problem in the world. Talk to me about I am enough and how the hashtag started. If you're watching this, put hashtag I am enough into Instagram and see how many things pop up relating to Marissa. How did this start? Well, you know, Having a psychology background, I realized very early on that the common denominator of all my clients' problems, as we said earlier, smoking, drinking, obesity, addictions, gambling, insecurity, all stem from this feeling of I'm not enough. And I was wondering where that came from, because there's no baby born that says, oh, you know, I've just come out of the womb and I've got a bit of blood on my hair, don't look at me. They, they latch on, they believe they're lovable, they never think, no, I shouldn't cry in the middle of the night. My mum's exhausted. My dad's working night shifts. I shouldn't throw up on this white baby grow that she just bleached. And I definitely shouldn't throw up this broccoli because she just bought it from Whole Foods and it was expensive and organic. They never think that. So I was always curious as to where this belief came from because we're not born with it. And it comes from our conditioning. You know, read a magazine as a woman and how quickly do you feel not enough? Watch a show like Friends, where they've all got perfect bodies, perfect hair, a waitress lives in an apartment on Central Park. I mean, that, that's just ridiculous. But we don't stop to think, how many waitresses live on Central yeah. Park? <laughs> so in magazines, the media will make you feel not enough. And it is actually now an epidemic. I mean, go onto Instagram, go onto Facebook and see all these fake images of perfection. People now they alter their pictures. You look at someone, they look amazing, their house is amazing, their kids are amazing. They go, oh, I don't have that. I'm not enough. My hair isn't like that. You know, we're sold a complete myth. If you've got fat hair and thin thighs, you matter. If you've got fat thighs and thin hair, you don't matter. And that's not true. But the media damages women and men too really badly. And I know that to be true because when I've gone to tribes, they never have that, that concept. But if you, they, they had some studies of um, villages in Turkey and in Fiji where they t piped in television. They'd never had it before. 
And within three years, they had epidemic of eating disorders, bulimia, anorexia, because girls would look at TV and go, oh, I need to look like that. Have like, you know, the thigh gap and the bikini bridge and be so skinny that I'm wearing clothes that a six-year-old would wear. And it's such a shame what we do to people. And so you convince people that telling yourself I am enough mm -hmm. is a way of, of rebuilding that self-esteem and that confidence? If you tell yourself I'm enough every day, it will, it will change your life. You see, a lot of us do this. I'm going to wake up and go, I'm a goddess. I'm a goddess. I look in the mirror and you go, not really a goddess, am I? Because look at my hair and you know this jump has got a stain on it and I've got cellulite. Or you, this little, hey, I'm, a, I'm going to sing that song from Shrek. Hey, I'm a rock star. And your mind goes, not really a rock star, are you? Because you're sharing a house with six people and you don't even have a car, or you've got a car that's 15 years old. I'm enough. Its strength is very much in its simplicity. It's so true that your mind never goes, come on, it's not really true. If you're a rock star, why are you buying clothes in Primark? If you're a goddess, why are you wearing something that's five years old? So we argue against stuff that we think is really not real, but we never argue about I'm enough because it's true. And so when you know that you're enough, you don't need more. When you feel not enough, you need more, more praise, more compliments, more food, more drink, more everything, more stuff, more shopping. We, you know, we live in a world where we need so much stuff because we think we're not enough. But stuff doesn't make you feel enough. Only you can do that. And we can really convince ourselves that we are enough. Really Would it take quickly. a week, a month? Some people it takes a day, some people it takes an hour, just some people it takes a week or two weeks. Just saying, I'm enough, I'm enough. Well, ideally, write it on your mirrors, particularly your bathroom, so when you're cleaning your teeth, there it is. Put it on your fridge magnets. One of my clients printed it on her children's pillows for the last thing they saw. And the first thing was, I'm enough. You should always get them to say it as they went to sleep. Put it on cushions. Write it on your hand, put it on your screensaver, change all your passwords so amongst several squiggles and dots and letters to be security safe, you have I am enough. If you have to write it out and read it and say it and have it on your phone alert so it goes off every day, if you do that, it will change your life really fast. And that will change our life how? Will we just suddenly be more confident, love ourselves more? Yeah. Yeah, more confident, love yourself more. You know, I work with so many adolescent kids and they try so hard to make someone else love them. And not adolescents too, you know, I, I need love, I'm going to go on a diet, change my hair, get a makeover, change my wardrobe, pretend I'm a guy, I'm going to pretend I've got more money, I'm more successful. And now we're trying so hard to make someone else love us. and. That doesn't work. What works is to love yourself so much that the other person picks up that, oh, you're definitely worth being with. You see, love is not to be earned or definitely not to be bought or run after or chased after. It's for you to know that you're worth it. And if you want love, the minute you know you're worth it, you'll find it and it will find you. But we all are racing around looking for something that's already in ourselves. What if you convince yourself that you are enough and you walk around being your authentic self and nobody likes you? Well, no one wants to be your friend. That would never happen because we like people who like themselves. You know, we like people who are like us, but we find confident people quite appealing. You know, if you go to a doctor or a dentist or you, you're finding a school for your child, you're going to try and pick someone who's confident. You don't think, I want the inadequate, nervous, insecure one. <laughs> A lot of people get very confused between confidence and arrogance. Arrogant people are deeply insecure and they're trying to convince themselves by convincing you that they matter. So when you know you're enough, you don't brag. You don't go, oh, I've got more than you and I'm better than you and I went to a better school. You just resonate this feeling because when you know you're enough, you know that everyone else is enough too. You're not competitive in a negative way. You have no interest in diminishing people or judging them. You just feel good about yourself, but you help people feel good about themselves too. People think, if I'm enough, don't I just sit on the sofa eating biscuits all day? No, when you know you're enough, you think, 
I deserve better. I deserve a better relationship, a better career, a better life. And I can change that. I can dialogue with my partner and say, you know, this is not actually where I want to be, this arguing or bickering. Or go to your boss and say, you know, I've been with this company for X years and I think it's time for a promotion. And if you have that belief, people believe about you what you believe about you. You know, we make our beliefs. And then our beliefs turn around and make us. And all you have to do is to make your beliefs amazing. And it sounds simple, because it really is. If you take a knock, say you've built up your self-esteem, you're feeling really good, then somebody is really rude, or there's a troll online yeah. who attacks you, and all of a sudden you feel that big again, and you think, oh, what? can you build yourself back up quickly? Yeah, you see, success is not in never failing. Success will never go, you know, I never get criticized. In fact, the more success you have, the more you will invite trolls and people who like to diminish you because they're deeply unhappy. Success is really about how quickly you get back on track. People who think all oh, successful people have a charmed life and they never get illness or sickness or stuff going wrong, that's not true. But a troll, I mean, trolls are deeply unhappy. All critical people have the most criticism reserved for themselves. And they're expressing outwards the fact that they don't like them. If I started to have a go, you go, I hate what you're wearing and your hair's full of split ends and look at you. And really what I'm saying is I feel so bad about myself. And in your company, I need you to feel really bad about yourself. Then we can be equal. It's like you're here and I'm here. And I don't like that. I want to be here. I don't want to be equal. I want to be superior. And I have two choices, embellish myself or diminish you. Diminishing you is much easier. So if I feel bad about myself, how can I embellish myself? So trolls will say awful, horrible, terrible things. And you think, what kind of person would sit at home and get pleasure from that? Well, the answer is a very unhappy, insecure person. And the only thing you can ever do is not let it in. Just don't, don't let someone like that... You can't give other people the power for how you feel about yourself. Happiness is an inside job, and no troll has the power to make you feel bad unless you let them. I mean, lots of my clients or celebrities say, you know, every day I go online and read the hate mail. I'm like, why? Why would you do that? I would never do that. I mean, I've got hate mail and some of my YouTube videos. I mean, they get really good comments, but there's a couple of really nasty, Me too. bitter yeah. ones. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, do you believe that's true about you? Do you, you? ever reply? Or do you just think Occasionally, I, I did reply to a couple, and then I just realized it's a complete waste of time because they're not interested in what you have to say. They're only interested in diminishing you. So I, I think I replied and said, you know, I'm so sorry for you that you're such an unhappy person. I really hope you get some help, and I hope you feel better. One particular who kept putting all these posts that I was a transsexual, and um, I shouldn't therefore be able to speak. And I felt like saying, well, first of all, that's not true, but even if it was, you mean a transsexual can't have a voice then? But it's really not worth it. It's easier just to feel very sorry for them, wish them happiness and get on with your life. You know, if you don't let it in, it can't hurt you. You have a choice about what you let in. And, you know, we have an epidemic of bullying because people let this stuff in, but really the quickest thing with a troll is to just delete it if you can or skip over it if you can't. What should you do if somebody's rude to your face in real life? Do you just ignore that too? Mm. Whatever. Depends. If someone's very rude to me, I might say to them, oh, I don't allow people to speak to me like that. And they go, yeah, I do that to everyone. I'm like, well, I don't let people talk to me like that. So I, if people are very rude, I will say to them, I, I don't allow people to speak to me like that. Or I might say, gee, I'm really sorry you're having a bad day. And they usually go, oh, God, you've, I've just done three back-to-back -back flights. I'm exhausted. They quite like it when you say, wow, you're having a bad day. You must be exhausted. Yeah, my kids kept me up all night. So they quite like it if you, instead of you getting hostile and go, wow, you're having a bad time, aren't you? You're a hurt person. Because hurt people hurt people. And behind anger and bitterness and resentment and criticism is deep hurt. And if you can understand that people are hurt and they want to lash out that hurt and then you're hurt and then it's like, oh, I feel a bit better now. We're equal again. So recognizing that mean, angry, critical people have really hurt people and feeling some compassion for them 
just Trolls. makes you feel better. Trolls just don't think they're enough. Never. I mean, who would ever wake up and go, my life is great, it's amazing, who can I go online and diminish? I mean, who wakes up and goes, my life's amazing, who can I bully? You know, happy people are benevolent and unhappy people often are critical. Not all unhappy people. Some unhappy people are really kind. But by the very nature, people who are happy praise and people who are miserable criticize. So why would you need that to affect you? I heard you talk um, regarding I Am Enough. I heard you talk about a former client of yours who was a big star and and you often get drafted in where other oh, therapists yeah, can't the handle things. And um, it would be great if you could tell this story to my viewers because it's really touched okay. me. And I, it was the guy, and, and it, you weren't allowed to drive a certain car on his So I was working bike. on my own show in LA as a weight loss show. And another producer called and said, you know, we've got this massive star who keeps not turning up. And I think it cost something insane, like $20,000 a minute to film this show, and he kept going missing. They said, can you go to his house and do a session with him, but get him back on set, because if we have to shut down the set, we lose everything. And they said, could you go now? I'm like, sure. And they went, what kind of car have you got? So I've got a Mustang. I went, oh, no. I mean, I, I had a red convertible Mustang. I loved it. But they said, no, no, you can't. Don't put that on his drive and don't even put it outside his house. Can you tuck it away in the next street? Because he can only have status cars, Ferrari, wow. Jaguar, Porsche. So I'm like, sure. So I drove up to this amazing mansion, a real Beverly Hills, incredible home, tucked away my, according to them, inferior car and knocked on the door and he answered it. And I was very struck by this house. And I was going, wow, this house is amazing. I hate this house. I hate it, the neighbors are so difficult, so I have to keep moving, I just can't find the right house. And he said, anyway, I don't even know why you're here because um, I've seen everyone, every doctor, every therapist, nobody can help me. So well, you haven't seen me and I can help you. And then he said, you have the look of my fourth wife. I said, thank you, he said, don't thank me. She was the biggest, out of all my wives, she was the most disappointing. <laughs> and then we went into his den to do the session. He had a BAFTA, and I said, oh, you have a BAFTA? He said, that's a curse. Do you know what that's like to get an award? I said, I do, actually, because I was put in the TAPS guide to the very best doctors, and my first thought was, gosh, I hope I'm in it next year. That would be awful to be in it, and then not in it, but not in your league. And I said, but actually, I know what's wrong with you. And he said, how can you know already? I said, well, look, you can't have a car on your drive that isn't equivalent of a Ferrari. All your wives disappointed. You hate this house. And a BAFTA is a curse. It's very clear. You, you just don't think you're enough, do you? And considering how cranky he was, these big tears started to leak out of his eyes. I said, do you think that's true? I said, you know, I know it's true. And so do you. I mean, look, the house, the car. All of these things have the emptiness inside of you. You need better cars, better, better wives because you don't think you're enough. And I said, anyway, tell me about your life. He said, well, I was raised in a trailer. My dad worked in construction. My mum was a carer. I think it was in Detroit. And he said, you know, and in the winter, my dad, if it snowed, didn't have any work on construction. It's too dangerous. And we didn't have any money. And so my mum worked nights for more money. My dad was furious because my mum was more successful than him. And I would cook my dad's dinner and and I never got to have that dinner. There's only enough money for one. I said, did he share it? He went, he shared it with a dog right in front of me. I said, well, that's it. You know, any child looks at parents because children must idealize their parents. And when a child says, my dad doesn't like me, my dad likes a dog with me, my mum's never here, where is she? She's at work. Oh, I guess she must like that place called work more than me. Why is that? There's only one answer. I'm not enough. And considering that he had a drug problem and an eating problem and an anger problem, I said, you know, all your problems are really just, they're just branches of a tree and the root of the tree is you don't think you're enough. So I invited him. In fact, I went around his house and we wrote it all over his mirrors. When you have four ex-wives, there's a lot of makeup in the house. So it was really easy to <laughs> write that. And I put it on his phone alerts. So I asked him to change his passwords. And not long after that, maybe six weeks or something. I was walking onto my set to go to my own show and I saw this man and he wasn't that far away. 
maybe 50 yards, maybe less. Anyways, he was undoing his flies and his shirt. I'm like, oh my God, is someone going to flash me on a law? I mean, how did he even get on there? Where's security? But I realized it was him. And as I got closer, he was undoing his shirt to show me how much weight he lost. He went, look, you know, I've lost all this weight and my life's amazing. He said, and those words, they've changed my life. as well. they do that. He said, no, 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 but you don't understand how much. I said, I do, because I tell people this all over the world. I am enough will change your life. He said, no, but I need to tell you how. He said, I've got a Mini. I've sold the Porsche. I'm not a fat, cranky bastard, and I've sold the Mini, and I'm dating a hairdresser. Who would have thought? So I only ever dated actresses and models, and they never felt enough, and I never felt enough, and we had a relationship that was never enough, but now I'm happy. And not long later, he called me and went, I'm fishing. I've never been so happy in my entire life. All that pursuit of stuff. He said, but guess what else? The neighbors are actually quite nice. He said, I've had them over. They're fine. I don't know why I thought they were awful. I said, because you were projecting. He said, no, they're lovely. And, and I'm fishing with one of them right now, and I've never been so happy. Because, of course, it's our connection to people that makes us happy. And he was always moving always dating women who are obsessed with their image and his, and he suddenly found a real life. And, and he was really the one who taught me that it's all about I'm not enough. And after that, I started to give that message to schools and hospitals. And at the moment, I'm working with quite a few rehabs who will say, you know, addicts, you know, the, the relapse rate is so high. I'm like, well, of course it is, because you cure them of drinking. But what lies beneath the drinking is I'm not enough, so I need more. And you've you got to cure what lies beneath. What is the underlying issue, not the presenting issue? So we have schools, rehabs, even prisons now that are really interested in our program. You know, I'm Enough is an eight-week program. It's also a book. It's also a movement. And we have one country that says, you know, we're, actually they're taking the whole thing and putting it on the NHS. It's not this country but it might be soon, because it changes people from the inside out. You know, we're taught in the West, it's such a shame, we're taught, if you have a feeling and you don't like that feeling, just eat cake, Netflix the feeling, shop the feeling, drink the feeling, eat, the, do anything to make the feeling go away. But the truth is your feelings are the most real thing you have. And if you try and eat the feeling, push that feeling down, or do something to not feel the feeling, it just regroups and comes back stronger than ever. And if we could only teach, well, you know, feel your feeling until it no longer wants to be felt. You can say, I feel sad, I feel left out. You can even say, I feel envious of my cousin. I feel that. But when you say it, it goes, oh, you, you acknowledged me, now I can leave. When you push it down, it just gets stronger and stronger. And one of my favorite expressions I've always loved says, the feeling that cannot find its expression in tears may cause other organs to weep. And what that really says is if you don't express your feeling, expect your body to do it for you. Because I've got this angry rash and I've got this screaming headache. I've got this angry thumping pain. What they're saying is I've kept all my feelings in. And now they're coming out as rashes or itches or headaches or backache or migraines. Because you have to connect to your feelings. They're the most real thing you have. And so my job is quite easy because when clients come in and go, I've got this screaming migraine, I've got this something, I've got this angry red rash. They've already told me without knowing it that it's suppressed anger, suppressed pain, suppressed hurt. And so we get rid of that. And in one hour, they become a different person because therapy shouldn't be every week for 10 years I'm going in to keep talking about the pain it's very good initially talk therapy because someone's listening but when you keep it going you just keep opening a wound and if you keep opening a wound it, it doesn't get to heal properly so you wouldn't recommend talking therapy to people you're more about hypnotherapy, mind reprogramming. I wouldn't not recommend it. You know, some people love grief counseling and some people like someone to talk to. But I certainly wouldn't recommend extended talk therapy. I mean, there's no other treatment in the world where they go, come in and talk about your pain. If you had a root canal, you couldn't find a dentist, we're just going to talk about it every week. If you broke your leg, no doctor would say, we'll just discuss it every week. They go, well, we've got to get that infection out of there. 
and emotional pain and trauma is the same. You can talk about it as long as you like, but until you uncover the root cause of what's going on, it's still going to be there. You just learn to live with it. And so I've always been much more interested. You know, clients come to me in immense physical pain, emotional pain, and they all want the pain to stop. And I do, they want it to stop now. Like if I was in physical pain, I would want it to stop now. It's like, well, can, I, can you stop this pain? Can you at least minimize it? So I've always been interested in that. I want to stop my client's pain. And stopping the pain involves finding out why you have it and getting rid of it. So with a lot of obese people, men and women, and they'll say, you know, I've had stomach stapling, I had my jaw wired, I've gone on this liquid soup diet, I've done every diet. And it always comes back. And if it always comes back, then I figured if it comes back, it must have a purpose. Why would something come back when you're working to get rid of it unless it has a reason? So I started asking my clients in hypnosis to come up with a reason. And they'd say amazing things like, oh, you know, now you mention it. When I was 11, my mum remarried a guy and he used to look at me. He really lusted me. I didn't like it. I was very young. I remember saying, I wish I, he wouldn't look at me. I wish I could find a way to stop him looking at me. Suddenly they became obese. They would come in with headaches. They've had everything. They've tried every diet, every medication, every new drug trial. They keep coming back. And then you'll say to them, well, if the headache had a job. And then they'll say, you know, my dad was so determined I would be a lawyer. I never wanted to go to law school. I was trying to get out of it, and then I suddenly got these excruciating headaches. I couldn't even take the exam. And then they have what's called an aha moment, a light bulb moment. Oh, I see, the headache had a role and a function and a purpose. You know, even tiny children of five, I've often sat with children who've got dermatitis or eczema and said, you know, sometimes the eczema wants to be your friend. How could that be? And, they, and they'll say, well, I have to stand like that, and mummy puts cream and wet bandages on me. She doesn't put any cream on that baby. And in that instance, you understand that they've said to their mind, as mummy massages, and you be, I want that. Mummy, can I have cream? No, you're a big boy, it's just for the baby. But they tell themselves they want it, and your mind has a very clear job. Do what you tell it you want. So one of my clients only this week was saying that Whenever his parents fought, he'd say, I'm so hungry, I'm really hungry, and he wasn't. And they'd stop fighting and make him food and feed him, and he became very fat, but they fed him a lot. And then he had formed a belief that every time something isn't right, I need to eat to stop it. But that was just an intervention he came up with as a child. And so when you begin to understand that our emotional illnesses, our physical illnesses often have a job. They think they're doing what we want. You know, if you say, um, oh God, if I got pregnant now, it would be a nightmare. It would be a disaster. My dad would kill me. I'd get kicked out of school or I'd ruin this relationship. Your mind is picking up, you don't want a baby. But when you say these things, your mind tags on forever. I don't want people to look at me, ever. If I got pregnant at the end of the world, forever. Um, it, I, I've got to get out of taking these exams. But for the mind, it's permanent. So 20 years later, when you're no longer a 15 dating some guy that your parents hate is a different religion to you, and you're married to a guy they absolutely love and they're gagging for grandchildren, your mind is still acting, you, you don't want a baby, that would be the end of the world. You don't want to be attractive, that would make people look at you funny. You don't want to be healthy because then you'll have to do a job you don't want to do. So the mind is very good at tagging on this forever. So a little kid of two whose father leaves, marries someone else and has a new kid and gives that attention will, will only think one thing, my dad doesn't love me, but he loves the other baby more than me because I'm not enough. But then here comes the tag. And it will always be like this. It will be like this forever and ever. It will be this way for the rest of my life. You only have to look at someone like Marilyn Monroe to see that in action. Abandoned child by both parents, orphaned, fostered, who went through life and became stunningly beautiful, very intelligent, very engaging, very beguiling, but always had this belief, no one loves me. I'm not lovable.
I mean, whoever she married was with, she always had a belief that she wasn't lovable enough. It was there in Princess Diana. It was there in Michael Jackson and, and George Michael and so many talented people, Heath Ledger, Amy Winehouse, Whitney Houston. There it is over and over again. I'm beautiful, I'm talented, I'm gifted, but actually I don't think I'm enough at all. And if you knew the real me, you'd be disappointed because they feel not enough and no fan base can get over that. You have to cure yourself by saying, but that's not true, of course you're enough. You know, you're not your thighs or your weight or your shape or your size, you're not your childhood. You're not the numbers on your bank account, on your birth or even on the scales, that isn't you. That's just the wrapping, you know, when you know that you're enough, those things don't haunt you anymore. I've got to weigh less, pretend I'm younger, earn more, be more, do more, then you can go, no, I'm enough. And I can get more if I want it, but I'm enough without it. So would you say that everybody, in summary now, if we all believed we were enough, we could all be super achievers. If you want to be, some people don't want to be. You know, I train a lot of people to do to become RTT therapists, and we have about three thousand all over the world. And some of them will say, you know, I really want to make a lot of money and be very successful. And others say, you know, the money is not my thing. I have a calling to change people's lives, and it's so exciting. I can go into schools and change these bullied kids and change the kid who's the bully. So not everybody wants, you know, huge amounts of wealth, but even money, your relationship with money is pretty much set by the time you're five. If you hear parents say, I can't find the money and I don't know how to get the money and we can't afford that and there isn't enough money, you'll always have that helplessness about money. If your parents go, if you want that, then we're going to find some stuff for you to do and you're going to earn it, then that child will grow up thinking, okay, I can do that. You know, when I went to school, and my brother went to private school, and I didn't, because he was always earmarked as the smart one. And I was not the smart one at all. In fact, I was always going to be a nanny, because that's all my, my parents thought I could really do. But my brother's school would, would give him maths homework, and it would say, you have eight businesses and you sell three. How many have you got left? And of course the answer is five, but you've also got the investment. But my school said you have five apples and you give two away and you've got left. Well, the answer is three, but I've given away half my equity. Nothing wrong with giving away apples, but the very thing that my school talked about, apples and pears and how many you gave away and you had less left. But my brother's school talked about investing, selling, acquiring acquisitions at six. And even at that tiny age that you're becoming wired to believe that you have a good relationship with money or not, you can attract wealth or not. Can you change that with I'm enough? Oh, absolutely. I'm enough changes everything. When you know you're enough, you don't need more, but you also know that you're worth more. So it's, it's not a need, it's a worth. I can go and ask for a pay rise. I can say to someone, Please don't talk to me like that because that's just not acceptable. You can go to say to someone and say, no, this isn't working for me. I just don't feel comfortable. And you can say it nicely, kind of. You have no interest in diminishing another person. You can just go through the world confident, happy, but also you like other people and they like you. When you're not enough, you need more and you're threatened by people who have more and uncomfortable sometimes with them but you just don't have that happiness that you should have. You know, I always say to everyone who says, I was born insecure, go and hang out at a park in the summer or a pool and look, Daddy, look at me, look at me, watch me jumping in the water, watch me on the, watch me on the slide. No kid goes, don't look at me. Oh my God, don't look at me, I'm not enough. And then you get to the 14 year old and you see the difference where you say to them, I could drive my little girl to school and go, we'd play X Factor and I'd say, I'm Simon Cowell, sing a song and she would sing it and I'd pretend to press the buzzer and go, that was amazing, you're through. But if I did that at 14, she'd go, oh mom, you're so embarrassing, for heaven's sake, would you stop that? Because at 14 or even at 12, you know, say to yourself, I'd sing, dance, perform, it's like, I'm not doing that because I might not be good enough. But the two-year-old has no concept that anything other than enough. And 
The good news is since you are born knowing you're enough and it's such an innate part of you, you're not getting something new, you're reactivating and remanifesting and regaining what you were born with. You know, everything we were born with, a lot of it, we don't lose it, we just kind of bury it under stuff that isn't even true. I'm not good enough and I can't do that. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to get what I want. I don't know how to go out and meet some person because they'll only reject me. I have all this new stuff like ghosting and all these things people do. And it's a shame that social media, which is very useful, actually can also make people feel so inadequate. Mm -hmm. If you let it, but you have a choice not to let it. Where can people find out more about you? Because oh, I know okay. my viewers will be wanting to see more videos with you and learn more about you. Well, there are three ways. If you go to marissapeer.com, we give away stuff. We give away wealth wiring, relationship wiring, confidence wiring, abundance. And we always have at least four programs we give away completely free. If you want to find out I'm enough, go to iamenough.com and you can find out about the book, the eight-week program, we do live Q&As, there's, there's this amazing program. People say to me, wow, you know that, somebody wrote to me recently, I've been in therapy for 10 years, the day I got that program, I stopped and I sent it to my therapist and said, you need this. And many therapists say, wow, you have really simplified the workings of the mind. Even AA wrote to me and said, we've got this in our chapter because AA says what's wrong, but you say what's wrong, how it went wrong, and how to change it back again. And so we have many, many people higher in the medical world that love I'm Enough. So go to imenough.com. If you would like to become an RTT, a rapid transformation therapist, go to rapidtransformationtherapy.com and you can learn to do what I do. I mean, when I started to teach this method, I made it something I could replicate. All of the people I train replicate what I do and they also replicate the results. So you can also go there to find a therapist should you want one. So I'm enough.com, marissapeer.com, or rapidtransformationaltherapy.com. Brilliant. Um, YouTubers, I will put all of these links in the show notes at healthhackers.uk. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. Thank you for having me, and thank you for You're this welcome. fascinating discussion. Um, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and iTunes, everybody. See you next time. And Bye -bye. hashtag I'm enough. Hashtag I am enough. Check it out. Thank you. Bye.